WXDXFM, Pittsburgh. Matt Merck's Plumbing, counting a name you can trust. It's the 5 o'clock hour of the Mark Madden Show. It meets in Benz. You can't trust Le'Veon Bell, apparently, and that's why it feels like it's over between the fans and Lev. We had quite the conversation going in the 4 o'clock hour about this. Matt Williamson came on to talk about training camp, and I want to revisit what we were talking about before Matt came on because we tied it into our conversation with Matt, too, and... He tended to agree with the sentiment that I think a lot of people gave, which was if there's a difference between Lev Bell and A.B., it's you feel like you can count on A.B. once the games begin. I wrote about this today in the Trib, and I wanted to carry the conversation over to the air because I wanted to get some back and forth going on it. And if you didn't get through in the 4 o'clock hour, we had packed lines on it. I'll open it back up again here. Do you have different feelings towards Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, even though the both of them have at times in their careers been major distractions. Because Kevin Colbert, who often takes no heat in Pittsburgh because he's such a likable guy and has done a really good job as general manager, did take some, it was talked about yesterday on the KDK Sports Showdown when I was on, for maybe being too in the corner of Mike Tomlin when it came to rushing to his defense over criticism that he got from James Harrison about being too lax of a coach, not being disciplined enough. And when the topic of discipline so often comes up about the Steelers, when it's not Harrison sleeping in a meeting, ironically, it's about the wide receiver or the running back. The running back is getting busted for smoking pot. The running back is sending out tweets about Jacksonville the night before the game against, sorry, tweets about New England, about the upcoming playoffs and the AFC Championship rematch before they ever got there because Jacksonville beat him the next day or not showing up to practice or late to a walkthrough during that week leading up to the Jags game. Then there's AB with blue cleats and celebrations and Facebook Live and throwing the water cooler and yapping at Landry Jones and his social media meltdown from earlier during OTAs. But I'm at training camp last week, and I see Antonio Brown make this ridiculous catch and didn't see the rope line mob with kids and Steelers fans begging for his autograph, and I don't think he's lost a grip on the fan fan base in terms of them being in his corner. Now, maybe I'm misreading this, but you tell me, as it relates to Le'Veon Bell, does he still have you in his corner like that, or is it different? I think we've analyze the differences between the two guys and maybe why one still has more of the respect of the fans than the other. But I'm going to move the goalpost in the conversation and just ask, when it comes to Lev Bell, does he still have enough fan support out there or not? Is it gone? 412-333-9939. You can tweet me at PGH. Because I felt like people wanted to give him a second chance after last season. You know, he played really well in the last 12 games of the season. He wasn't as dynamic as he had been in his 12-game season the year before. But he was good enough that I think a lot of people wanted to see a deal done long-term with him here. Now, economically, cap-wise, injury-wise, all that stuff, that's a different story. But I think people wanted to... Keep their 26 jerseys. I think people wanted to consider him still a stealer for the foreseeable future. And then he handled himself, I think, publicly so much more poorly this offseason than even he did last. 
That might have ruined it. Like I don't know if people are going to be so willing to be in his corner, even if he performs well to start the year. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he comes out and he has a couple early 100-yard games. The concerns about him slumping out of the gates are gone, as we saw last year. Maybe people push that aside and they're right back in his corner and they can, I don't know, compartmentalize 2018 versus the future and not having him anymore. But A.B. has that a lot more cornered than Bell does. A.B. has figured that out a lot better than Lev has so far. That at least is my interpretation. Uh, We also talked about the Pirates and whether or not they're going to do something at the trade deadline if you missed the story earlier. John Heyman says they are in the mix when it comes to Chris Archer. Gossman, not so much, even though reports have been to the contrary up until this point. I think the Pirates have to do something. I think they got to do something to at least make it look like they're trying to keep up with other teams that are in the playoff hunt that have made moves already. In a way, that should make it easier for the Pirates to get somebody who's left because everybody else has made a move. But what do the Pirates do with what remains? Do they get Archer? And even if they don't get Archer, whatever they get, will that be enough to make you think, all right, they're at least trying? Let's go to John who's calling from his car. Hi, John. Go ahead. You're on 105.9 The X. Uh, first of all, glad to have you in Pittsburgh. Thanks, John. Again. Appreciate um, that. To give you the Reader's Digest condensed answer to the last two topics you put up, I think Nutting, A.B., and Love Bell are all a bunch of dinks, as Mark would say. <laughs> uh, but the real reason I called was we have a close-to-home comeback story that had half a stadium leave, and that was the Pat White, Steve Slayton, Louisville triple overtime comeback that West Virginia had in 05 when they were down 17 in the fourth. Yeah, there you go. That's 17 in the fourth. That fits the dead spin graph if I'm going to apply it to a different sport, right? Absolutely. Yeah, because... Three, three, three possessions down and no hope. No, because we've all... Like, the Colt game that I mentioned with the Steelers, and thanks for that, John. That's a good one. The Colt game that I referenced, the Penn State game against Ohio State that we've heard brought up a couple times... Those are, were, to a degree, the Penn State one a little bit less, but sometimes singular dynamic. Uh, you know, it looked like all hope was done. There was 20 seconds left on the clock, but it was still a one-score game or a one-moment game. You know, that comeback that the Steelers had against the Browns at Heinz Field, that fits exactly what they're talking about in this story, which is more about, okay, you, you've come to this game, you had everything invested in it, and it was crap. It was dog crap for two hours. He said, that's it, I'm beating the traffic. There's a beat in the traffic game, and then there's, well, I was stuck in the John on the way out game. <laughs> there's a difference. Deadspin is talking about the former, but that guy hit it on the head with that reference there. Cody on the south side, you're on 105.9 The X. Tim, how are you? Good. What's up, Cody? Well, let's, first off, let's not even talk about nutting in the Pirates. Uh, it's a sore subject. Would it be, uh, hold on for a second. Before you get off that, though, would it be sore if they at least did something? If they at least got somebody? Yeah, I, I wish. All right, his cell phone is apparently he had a Bob Nutting cell phone there, which is unfortunate. But uh, what he was going to say was, "I respect Lev Bell as a player, and I do as well." And that's what makes it fr- so frustrating. And as Matt Williams had said to us when he was on with us earlier, I also like Lev as a guy. He's a very easy guy for us in the media to get along with. I don't have a lot of negative interaction stories about Lev talking to the fans in public or signing autographs or anything like that. He's always been a pretty genuine, easygoing guy, looks you in the eye. He's a yes, sir, no, sir kind of guy. 
until negotiations start for his contract or the offseason hits, and he does dumb stuff away from the facility and does dumb stuff away from the field. It's like he's all in 100% engaged when he's literally in a Steeler uniform or literally on the Steelers' grounds, and then outside of that, suddenly you got to worry about him. And, and that's been the problem that I have in rationalizing all this. A.B.'s in a different solar system. I, I don't know how you can even look at Antonio Brown. As some of the, like He landed in a helicopter. He, he showed up at a Rolls Royce with a driver on white gloves. I mean, like, how tangible is that to the average Joe? But people are still on board because he honors his contract, shows up, and balls out. Well, he plays hard. That's what it, Never mind. Nick calling from South Park. You're on 105.9 The X. What's up, Tim? Hey. Hey, so I want to talk to you about, you know, does, does A.B. get support from the fans? And, you know, I, I think he absolutely does. I mean, yeah, I don't care if he's wearing white gloves. I don't care, you know, what he's driving up to it. No, no, he had, he had blue cleats. The driver had the white gloves. That's not confused. Okay, okay. Yes. But I, but I, I don't, you know, he shows up, and, and like you said, he, he balls out. He puts in the work. You know, the, the guy was blessed with talent, but he, he puts in the work every single day. You can see that from his social media posts. You can see that from, from his videos. And, and it shows on the field. It's 100% he, he performs. There's, you know, there's not a better receiver to play this game. The man's always wide open. He runs crisp routes, and his hands are, you know, ridiculous. It, yeah, it and when he's not open, he still makes great catches anyway. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, he... Uh, as one of these guys who plays bigger than what he is because he makes every target count, it seems. And talking about A.B.'s work ethic is not to diminish what Bell does in terms of work off the field, too, because, I mean, he's he's had to have his weight fluctuate up and down according to what the Steelers have asked him to do. Uh, he's changed the way that he's run. Um, he's changed how he has uh, approached the pass game to become even better of a pass catcher throughout the course of his time in Pittsburgh. So he's done a lot of things to refine his game, but people don't remember that when you don't go to training camp at OTAs. That fruit is just so low-hanging, that's all people seize on to. 412-333-9939. When we come back, we'll continue talking about this, and we will also talk a little bit more about what Neil Huntington had to say about that Royals comparison that I referenced when I was on with uh, John Parado earlier. We'll do that next. Tim Benson for Mark Madden on 105.9 The X. The X at 105.9. Mark Madden coming up in just a little bit. He joins me, Tim Benz, sitting in for Mark today. Mark was on with me for the uh, Trib Life podcast, and Mark often calls in when he's out of town anyway, so we're going to kill two birds with one stone with that. Got to... Giveaway we're going to do for you in just a little bit to WFC Boxing this Saturday at Meadows Casino. Uh, Bob, I believe, has those cuts lined up from Neil Huntington uh, talking about the Kansas City Royals and uh, that conversation we were having earlier when John Parada was on with us. As Bob loads those up, let me uh, get to at least one more call here. Mike and Jeanette wants to continue the conversation about the Steelers. Go ahead, Mike. How are you? Hey, Tim. How you doing? Good. Hey, I wanted to uh, get your feedback on some of the buzz. I just thought ESPN ran another story about... Uh, some of the things with Des Bryant uh, joined in the Steelers. I want to get your thoughts on how a personality like that would miss with the Steelers and uh, if you think a player like that could accept being a two or three option on any team. I think he would have to accept being a number two to Antonio Brown. I think when Antonio Brown tweets out, let's all eat greedy off of big plates, I think A.B. knows he has a big plate. I want to see how okay he is with Des being greedy with it. I think it would be more of an issue in the end of how much attention Des gets for whatever A.B. is used to getting. Uh, Already, Juju Smith-Schuster on board. Keep this in mind, Mike. Last year, there's only one tandem of receivers that had over 1,000 yards each, and that was in Detroit. 
Uh, the second yep. closest was the combination between Juju and AB. They're okay. I don't think they need a number two. They need a good number three, and I think that good number three is going to be James Washington. And if it's not just him, then I think the excess passes can be evenly distributed between James as well as Le'Veon Bell if he works better out of the backfield early in the season with Ben. And, of course, on top of that, Vance McDonald, who is supposed to emerge at tight end. I don't think they need Dez, and I don't think they need Dez to be in a third or fourth role when he would be a headache, I think. So those are my thoughts. Thanks for asking for them. All right, do we have this uh, clip? All right, here a couple of clips here from Neil Huntington yesterday because if you've heard Neil talk over the years – he oftentimes references the Royals going for it all at the deadline to make moves to get themselves better and maybe market some of the future in exchange for some present return. Not just this year, but a few years now, you've brought up the Royals as an example. Like this team where you've said, if you could guarantee that I'm going to get a World Series, then I would make moves like the Royals did. But you're never going to get that guarantee. The Royals didn't have that guarantee, and they made that move. Like, do you have a fundamental problem with how the Royals went about doing what they did? Or No, they won a World Series. I have a complete respect and appreciation for Dayton and for that organization and the fact that they won a World Series. My, my point is more, I think, if you told every GM that you could be guaranteed a World Series, every single one of us would mortgage the future for a guaranteed World Series. The challenge is there are organizations out there that have made huge pushes and have not won World Series and, and have brought some tough times upon those franchises. And, and we talk about the Royals, and they should be celebrated because they got there and then won. And I have immense respect for them and um, and, and and what the rebuild they're, they're going through now and have complete confidence they're going to get that, that organization back on the winning track um, in, in sometime in the future and, and, and have a ton of respect for Dayton and what they did. Um, but but it is a cautionary tale that not every time do you push all the chips on the table do you win a World Series and there is significant hard times coming after if you push all the chips in and don't win. That That's more the point. It's not to say the Royals did anything wrong. They did everything right. They won the World Series and it's hard to question that. Yeah, they went out and they got Johnny Cueto. <laughs> Johnny Cueto, for as much as we make fun of him here in Pittsburgh for what happened to the wild card game, uh, what was the game two of the World Series? He was the first AL pitcher to throw a complete game in the World Series since Jack Morris in 1991. Uh, you know, he, as soon as he gets there, he complete game shutout against Detroit in his first start with Kansas City. And, and they got there again. So, you know, even without Cueto, then went to San Francisco. But I, I think oftentimes when you heal, hear Neil talk about Kansas City, it's there's almost like a, a cautionary tale tone to his voice. And whenever I hear that, because it's funny, I'll just give you a little setup here for how this works. Oftentimes, it's when Neil Huntington is doing his press con or his radio show with Greg Brown on Sundays. The media is there in the press box doing their own thing, and about one ten rolls around, and Neil's done doing his show on the flagship. And then he comes over to one end of the press box, and the rest of the media talks to him. And oftentimes, it's a lot of what he says on his own radio show, but that everybody else can use the information. You know, radio outlets and TV outlets can have it for themselves, without having to siphon it off of the website and you can ask more in-depth questions about some news maybe he has revealed on the flagships that's usually how it works but oftentimes during that interview you'll hear him say stuff about the royals which almost makes it sound like you know it was a bad idea to go to those two pesky world series uh, look what look what's happened to him now boy that yeah but they had a pitcher die too who's pretty important you know like other things have happened mitigating circumstances have happened 
that have you know thrown this out of whack for Kansas City. So I always when I, I wanted to ask that question of Neil because I so often hear him say stuff about the well, look at the Royals, you know, but they got to the two World Series. So there's a follow up question of Neil asked as well after he gave that one is like. Are you okay, or will you ever consider making the big move like Kansas City did to get there, or are you so fear, fearful of what will happen, you think that's too much of a risk? Their willingness to, you know, to, to do that and run that risk of not winning the World Series and going through those hard times. Yeah, and, 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 and I mean, the fact that we've pursued some bigger names for significant acquisition costs shows that, that, that to an extent we are willing to go there. Now, again, I didn't push it across the finish line at 16. That's how I'm at 14. And that's on me. The challenge becomes history does continually show us the best way to win a World Series is to get to the postseason as frequently as consistently as possible because that's the key is getting there. Um, uh, Billy being get ripped for saying there's randomness in October, uh, but history tells us that the wild card team has nearly as good a chance to, to win the World Series as, as the best record, um, and, and that's where we want to continue to put a, a really good team on the field for this fans every single year. Um, and, and when we get to that point in time where we feel we're one player away from winning a World Series, I would I would anticipate we, we feel like we could make that move. History also says, though, it's very hard for mid-market to small-market teams, as Billy Bean found out, to maintain that level where they're in the playoffs all the time to have the randomness hit for them. You know, it's not like, you know, eventually Duke finally won a championship under Krzyzewski and then they win them all the time. Villanova finally won another championship after 1985, even though they'd been there a bunch. Bayheim went to a ton and then finally won one with Carmelo. You know, there's that meld there, though, between randomness and having a lot of talent at the right time as well. The teams that have a lot of money get back into the postseason tournament a lot to have the randomness affect them positively. And that's why the Giants keep randomly going back and then keep randomly going to and winning the World Series. His Twins team, which he loves to reference from last year, is experiencing that now. They kind of randomly got into the playoffs last year, and now they likely won't. So here's something to talk about the Twins, and what will you do this year like the Twins did last year? The small market and mid-market teams that make the postseason generally follow a typical model. You build from your core players that, that have come from drafts, international market, or smart trades of young, where you acquired young players, then they supplement those via trades and, and via free agency. And, and um, I reference those to, to try to give our fans hope that small markets can make the postseason because there is a false narrative out there that small markets can't make it. We certainly did for three years at the second best record in baseball, 13 to 15. We, I wasn't able to repeat that. To, to get us to where we wanted to be in 16 or 17. Um, but there are small markets. Cleveland's one of the best teams in baseball in, in one of the smaller markets, the Twins, the Brewers. Um, the, 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 you know, there, there are teams that have had success in these small markets. That's why I continue to reference them is to show that there is hope and, and that there is a belief, and we are convicted to get back to the postseason. Yeah, and he mentioned the Twins at the start of the season, saying that even though Cole and Kutch were gone, this Pirate team could be eventually that Twins team. That Twins team at the deadline uh, acquired one pitcher at the deadline and spun him off for prospects after one start. So I hope the Pirates do a little bit more than that at some point before everything is said and done at the deadline. All right, time for us to give away a couple tickets to the WFC Boxing this Saturday, August the 4th at the Meadows Casino. The Meadows! Everyone who wins will be registered for the grand prize. A pair of ringside seats and a $50 Carvery gift voucher. Um, we'll give away 
two pairs. One to the first caller, uh, caller number 7412-333-9939. And then caller number, I'll make it real complicated, 8 at 412-333-9939. Two pair to give away right now uh, for the 7th and 8th caller here at 105.9 The X. And then when we come back, Mark Madden's going to join us. We'll talk about a number of these topics that we've addressed today with Mark here in his own show on the X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Mark, I think you're absolutely hilarious. It's an acquired taste. You would have the answer, Mark. Thank you. Wait, I wasn't done insulting you. The X at 105.9. Why is everything coming up on my computer in Spanish? You do one lousy web search for Kiara Mia, and now I can't find anything in English anymore. By the way, she's got a daughter who's like a YouTube model, Jasmine Chiquito. She's 23. Now I see what Jimmy Garoppolo's thinking. This kid is smart after all. He's going for the Sam Malone mother-daughter combo. There you go, kid. I knew what he was looking for the whole time. All right, Mark Madden, uh, normally in this time slot, of course, 3 till 6 every day, Monday through Friday, and you're home for the Pens, 105.9 The X. Tim Ben's in for Mark today and on Friday. But Mark, as he always does, checks in with me, uh, often when I'm hosting the show, but always on Mondays for our Trib Live podcast. Mark and I both write for the Trib, and he comes on for Madden Mondays. We talked about a number of different topics, including his trip to Ann Arbor, Michigan, to see Liverpool against Manchester United at the Big House in Ann Arbor. Yeah, 101,000 people at the University of Michigan's football stadium. Uh, Liverpool 4, Man United 1. A lot of the stars for each team still resting uh, after coming back from World Cup duty. But uh, uh, Jordan Shakiri, a new acquisition, scored a marvelous goal on a bicycle kick. And uh, the atmosphere was just tremendous. About 60-40 split in favor of Liverpool fans. Uh, soccer took over the whole town. Uh, for one day, uh, uh, just a very enjoyable experience. Is that your first time at that stadium, Mark? Yes. Uh, it doesn't look that big from the outside. Right, exactly. It's kind of weird, it isn't it? It's just like a regular stadium, and, and then you get inside, and boy, it just is sprawling. It's vertical, it's horizontal, it goes every which way, and there's people all over the place. Yeah, when I used to work in Columbus before I got to Pittsburgh, I was on the sidelines for an Ohio State-Michigan game, and the weird thing is, I mean, it just slopes into the skyline. It's almost like you become part of the background, you know what I mean? And and the seats are all benches, with with few exceptions. I think there are a few actual seats in, in certain places, but most of the seats are benches, so the people are just crammed in there. I was in the press box, Tim. That's where the fat people belong. Uh, that bench situation, not not good for fat people. The press box, just fine. Was it you, Mark, that said that Heinz Field isn't wide enough for big-time soccer? Uh, it, it didn't look like it. I don't know the exact measurements, but uh, both those teams like to play the ball wide. And uh, it was just going over the sideline, and there were a lot of frustrated looks down there. So, yeah, I think it's a bit narrow, and... Uh, I'm assuming that's why the stadium wasn't considered for World Cup games. Uh, Mark, let's talk about the real team at Heinz Field, the normal team at Heinz Field. That's the Steelers, and they've already got quite a few injury concerns early on in camp. Uh, Ramon Foster goes down for four to five weeks with a knee injury. Lots of other nicks and dings there that really don't concern me too much, but the one that does jump off the page is that Morgan Burnett, the newly acquired safety from the Packers, already dealing with a hamstring injury, and I wanted to see him get as much uh, snaps as possible, as many snaps as possible, to try to work out whatever they're going to do on defense with this 
four to five safety alignment that they might have on the field at the same time. The injuries worry me, but that's football, Tim. How do you practice football without injuries? I know people want to cut down the amount of contact in practice, but you can't cut it down to nothing or you'll actually not be practicing. It is a contact sport after all. The foster injury, by all accounts, could have been a lot worse, was presumed to be a lot worse when it occurred. Uh, Morgan Burnett is concerning from that uh, aspect you said, how many safeties they're going to use. I think that Terrell Edmonds is going to play a huge role right away. Uh, I'm going to talk about that on the show when I, when I get back. The more I look at where they drafted him, you know, two or three rounds before he was supposed to go, I think they got him for a very specific duty, which is to be a box safety in the mold of Troy Polamalu. Now, he's not Troy Polamalu, although he certainly does have interesting hair. But um, I'm curious to see how all that plays out. And, yeah, you're right. They do need Morgan Burnett to practice to kind of, you know, walk through that. But, again, I don't know how you control the injuries. They really are walking a fine line, to quote Bill Carr, on the offensive line. Because now you've got Foster hurt. You have woeful depth at tackle, as it is. Uh, they are one more injury away from that offensive line going from a strength to a disaster. Yeah, and that's the biggest reason why Ben Roethlisberger has talked so openly about wanting to play three to five years is that he himself has been kept upright by better line play of late in recent seasons. Oh, no question. Uh, and, and the scheme has kept him upright as well. A lot of things have conspired to make Ben uh, durable. And not least, I think he's in pretty good shape right now. Uh, I think he's worked pretty hard to make himself look like, well, Tim, he still looks like a beer league softball player, <laughs> but a really good beer league softball player. Um, but, but that line, uh, I don't know how you cultivate the depth out of what they got. I'm not worried if nobody else gets hurt, because B.J. Finney's really good. I, I think he does a fine job at guard when he's asked to step in, but uh, but now past that, boy, except for what's his name, Chooks? Chooks a core four, yeah. Yeah. I don't know who you come up with to, to go any further down the line, and, and Chooks is just a rookie. Now, Gerald Hawkins' spot, which had been the Chris Hubbard spot, they kind of liked how Hawkins had developed there, and they were going to use him quite a bit in the – uh, third tackle alignment, the extra big tight end thing. They used that a lot in the run game, and they probably need to because they weren't great in short yardage last year. Tim, I can't even name who the next guy up a guard is after Finney. Uh, it's probably Filer, and he's a swing guy between guard, tackle, and center anyway. So, yeah. If by swing guy you mean bum, yes, he probably is. <laughs> Mark Madden with us. Mark, let's get to A.B. and Lev Bell, too, because I wrote about that in the Trib today. What do you deem to be the biggest difference between those two guys and why the fans still seem to be on A.B.'s side despite all of his uh, public step-backs or, you know, public, uh, I don't want to say misconduct because he hasn't gotten arrested, but, you know, he's put himself into some controversies and Lev Bell has avoided controversy for a while, but now it's become more about, well, it's become more about what's going on with his contract. So, so what do you think the biggest difference is between those two guys personality-wise? Antonio Brown has one ability, Lev Bell does not. Availability. No matter how big a pain in the ass Antonio Brown can be, and by the way, I think he's toned that down a little bit, arriving in a helicopter notwithstanding. But he's always there. He always works his tail off, and he always produces. 
Lev Bell, you got injuries, you got marijuana suspensions, you got holdouts. He is visibly not as dedicated to his job as Antonio Brown. And one thing about Pittsburgh, you can be kind of a schmuck, and AB is kind of a schmuck, albeit the best wide receiving schmuck in history. You can be kind of a schmuck. If you work hard, Pittsburgh forgives a lot. Antonio Brown very visibly works hard. Le'Veon Bell very visibly isn't available often enough to work hard. Mark, let's get to baseball here and the trade deadline looming. Uh, will the Pirates do anything? If so, how minor will it be? Extremely minor. It, it'll, be, it'll be so minor it can't go to a strip club. It'll be so minor it can't drink. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's going to be something very token and very small to give the impression that they're trying to add onto this team to make the wild card, but it won't be much. One thing I do think has been averted, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this, I don't think they're going to get rid of anybody that's remotely key to you. No, I don't. I think they will eat the contracts the rest of the way of the freezes and the mercies. I think they'd like to. Uh, No, no, when I say eat it, I mean they'll just deal with it. They'll pay them. I I think they will deal with keeping those guys in the roster and have the cash layout because they just don't want to deal with the PR hit if they were to deal anybody off the roster. Right. I think they'd love to get rid of Mercer and Dickerson, don't you? Yeah, I, I do. Mercer as well, for sure. Maybe Cervelli and Harrison, too. I think those are the guys that cost the most, right? Well, yeah, but, but they have a thing about just not wanting to let guys walk on free agency without getting something. And Mercer fits that category. And Dixon, not quite, because what? One more year arbitration, right? Correct, yes. But uh, but still, I think they see Meadows as stepping in full-time next year. He should be stepping in right now with the injuries. I, I don't get that. Oh, I forgot. Serpico, he can play. He's terrific. Tim, the battle between his batting average and my IQ, it is neck and neck. <laughs> what is it, 154 after yesterday for him? Is that right? No, I thought he was going to hit yesterday. Oh, did it go back up over 166? I lost track. I think, it, it, Tim, it, it, it's so close. I can't keep track of it online. My heart flutters, my brain pounds. <laughs> I don't want to take the health risk, but it's very exciting. Yeah, you know, I, I think they see value. As always, I will bet on me. Right. I think they see value in him because he can play anywhere, but that doesn't mean he's playing anywhere well, and that's where the line is usually drawn. Tim, it, 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 it's, it's like... What if you had a a five foot one, five hundred fifty pound utility man who technically could play every position but, but just sucked? I mean, come on, the guy stinks. No, I, I'm with you, and I think you're right though about they won't move anybody off of this current roster. I know some people are trying to figure out what which of their prospects are untouchable to get anyone. I mean, I'm of the opinion that actually, more so than others, I feel that they shouldn't trade Meadows because of what you said earlier. Regardless of what they do, they could go to the playoffs and even win a round. They're not going to keep Corey Dickerson. So Meadows is your okay, start. I don't think I don't think they're even considering trading Meadows, nor, nor do I think they should. Uh, they have a policy where they don't trade prospects. Uh, that thing with Liriano a couple years back aside. But they don't like to trade prospects for, 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 for present help. And I, I'll be honest, I, I don't necessarily think that's a good policy to have in place year after year, deadline after deadline. But if you stick to it, I can't complain. If that's your policy, it's your policy. I, you know, it, it's like the Steelers not giving guaranteed money uh, past the signing bonus. If, if you do it all the time and you're consistent with it, then whatever you hope to achieve through that to some degree will work. 
Finally, Mark, a favorite for Penguins fans to hate is sticking around for a while. Tom Wilson, six million dollars. Sorry, six years, thirty-one million dollars to stay in D.C. Imagine how many Penguins he's going to lay out between now and then. Well, a lot of people on Twitter were saying you can't give that guy that much money. Of course you can, and of course they had to. They just won the cup. Tom Wilson was an integral part of their team. How can you not sign him? That's just how it works. There was no other choice for the Capitals. He got a little too long, a little too much, but just about everybody that has the opportunity gets a little too long and a little too much. I can't stand Tom Wilson, but he's very valuable to them. He compromises the dignity and integrity of what they accomplish. But then again, they don't accomplish much. So take what you can get. Last year they took it all, and that was partly due to Tom Wilson. Oh, Mark, I forgot. I should have mentioned this before we got off of baseball, but you had written in the trip about that Josh Hader situation, the relief pitcher from the Milwaukee Brewers. He gets uh, into the All-Star game, doesn't pitch very well in the All-Star game, then has his night made worse because somebody went through all of his old tweets and he'd put out some rap lyric tweets and things like that, and he got shamed on Twitter, and now it's turned into a trend. Yesterday, Sean Newcomb from the Braves almost throws a no-hitter, comes within one strike, in fact, and then immediately afterwards, someone did the same thing to him, pouring back through his old tweets to when he was 16 years old. Trey Turner, another guy from the Washington Nationals, same thing happened to him. What does every white male straight baseball player have to do? Go back through every single tweet they've ever had and scrub it? How is this going to work, and how much longer is it going to last? Well, first off, 10 moments ago when I talked about the five foot one, 550-pound utility man, Yes, that wasn't funny, but that was me tiptoeing around my instinct to make a much more tasteless joke. Right. So see you kids, it can be done. Uh, I'm amazed that those guys didn't go back and scrub out those tweets the minute they start to become even remotely prominent in baseball. Hey, I can't support what those guys tweeted, what they think or probably more accurately thought back then, Uh, but it is the lowest form of being a loser. I mean, how many people are going back through how many Twitters, how many years to find out offensive stuff that people tweeted, and what exactly is the point of that? What sense of accomplishment do these people get from that? Well, that's the question that I asked earlier, is when people are doing this, they do realize that they're holding guys to a higher standard before those guys realize that they were to be held to a higher standard. Because they weren't. They were just 16-year-old kids. It makes you want to abandon Twitter, doesn't it? Oh, I've wanted to abandon Twitter for a long time. Well, I'm, I'm weaning myself off, Tim. As you, as you may be aware, I don't respond to the whole boy anymore and have not done for 16 weeks. And I'm honestly not kidding when I say it has made me a lot happier. I have a much better mental outlook because of it. And there's stuff sometimes that I'd like to respond to, but these people just don't count. Now, Tim, what I'm thinking of doing is, I have a lead on two of my tormentors on Twitter, their actual identities. Wouldn't it be great if I showed up where they were one day? Now tell me what you really think. They'll probably ask yeah, you. Yeah, now what? Yeah, they'll probably now ask what? you for your autograph before they do anything else. Oh, it's just Twitter. It's just a joke. It's just fun. Well, yeah, it's fun for you, but it's not fun for the people that you're attacking or the people that you're airing out. Because this hater stuff, it's just it's an attempt to ruin their lives, and these people get nothing out of it because they remain anonymous. That's the thing I don't get. And the notion that it should ruin their lives for something they said when they were in high school is absurd as well. 
But we are in a revenge era of society, Tim. If people want you to be, you know, uh, flogged uh, and made insignificant, no matter what your miscue may be, no matter how small, no matter how long ago. Case in point, uh, on Howard Stern not long ago, a Hollywood agent was a guest, and he said, I tell my clients, if it comes down to hard drugs or Twitter, pick hard drugs. <laughs> you can recover from hard drugs. Hard drugs takes eight or nine months to get you. Twitter gets you instantly, and there's no hope for redemption. Hard drugs, you can say it's a sickness, you can go into rehab. You can get a second <laughs> chance, maybe, from hard drugs. There's no rehab for Twitter. All right, so that was Mark Madden from our usual Madden Monday podcast that we do over at Trib Live. You can catch that each and every week on Trib Live. Just go to the Breakfast with Ben's page, and it'll be posted every Monday morning. Mark will be back tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday. I'm back in on Friday. Listen to me on Wednesday night on ESPN Pittsburgh for another training camp show from Dino's in Latrobe. Thanks for listening to your home for the Pens on Sidney Crosby Day, the anniversary of the Pens drafting Sid. 105.9 The X. Abby on the X. What am I running on? Fumes and